Welcome back to Haftorah, the Shir series, which explores the connections between the Parsha Shavua and its corresponding Haftorah. And here at the database with Rabbi Yosha Eisenberg, we are playing catch-up. And that is because, for those who know, for those who do not know, last week my mother passed away, and we just got up from Shiva today. And in the previous Haftorah Shir, which was for Parsha's Vayishlach, we dedicated um, in Schos of her Refuah Shalema. So now moving forward, we'll be dedicating the Shirim in Schos for the Aliyah for her Neshama. So this Shir, which we are recording right now, is for Parsha's Vayishev, as you can see from the title. And later tonight, we'll be doing Mikates, and we are doing those in dedication as a Schos Lili Nishmas, Chaya Rachel, Bath, David Tzvi. Her Neshama should have the highest of Aliyahs. And when we get up to Parshas Mikates, one treat that I'll mention right now, and you'll just wait for it as it comes out shortly, or you can look in the archives, but the idea is that almost always the uh, Parsha of Shavua of Parshas Mikates coincides with Shabbos Chanukah. A couple of years ago, however, we had a very rare occurrence, an occurrence that the last time it had happened, it was like probably close to 20 years ago, whatever it was. Um, and that, that is when Shabbos Chanukah coincides with Parshas Vayeshev, and in that circumstance, we read one of the rarest Haftorahs for Parshas Mikates. So unlike this year, where it is as it usually is, Shabbos Chanukah coincides with Mikates, um, but we do have a special shir that was dedicated to one of the rarest Haftorahs on the Real Talk Torah series, and when I upload the shir for Shabbos Chanukah's Haftorah, which we'll be doing later tonight, so you will also have there the link. I'll put the link there for the shear that we dedicated to the very rare Haftarah of Parshas Mikates. But in the meantime, we're going to take a look at Parshas Vayeshev, the Parsha that we had missed, just for the purpose of Shlemos and having the complete series. We're going to work on Parshas Vayeshev now, the Haftarah, which um, again comes from the Treyasar, this is in fact the fourth one in a row from the Parshios Hashivua to come from Treyasar. Um, this one's from Amos, and it's from the second Parak, Pasuk Vav. So Parak Vez, Pasuk Vav, and it goes to Parak Gimel, Pasuk Ches. So 2 6 going to 3 8. And we, um, so remember in the previous few Parshas, we also had the Treyasar and Vayishlach, we had Malachi going backwards, Vayetse, we had Hoshea, and in Toldos, we had um, Malachi. Did I say in Vayishlach we had Malachi? Excuse me. In Vayishlach, we had Ovadia. In Vayetse, we had Hoshea. In Toldos, we had Malachi. And, and now we continue with uh, with the book of Amos. And unlike the past few Haftaras, the prophecy featured here in this Haftar for Vayeshev does not make any explicit references, at least al pipshuto shel mikra. According to the simple reading of the text, we don't find any explicit references to the individual heroes of our Sidra of Parshas Vayeshev. And that being the case, we have to do as we always do, and that is to try to figure out what is the relationship between the Parsha and the Torah, in this case between Vayeshev and the selected prophecy from Amos. So as far as the connection between the two, it's not so difficult if we're ready to give way to a little bit of drash or the exegetical reading of our text in Amos. And in its original text, the Navi had been rebuking various nations by name, poetically enumerating the sins um, that each one had committed, each with the same formulation, that al-shlosha pish-e blank, uh, for three of the uh, willful transgressions of whatever nation, 
And then, And for the fourth offense that they commit, I'm not going to relent, I'm not going to forgive them. And so that, that, that has been the formula, and different nations had been addressed. And then toward the, ends of the, toward the end of this list, Amos then addresses the sins of Yehuda, the southern Davidic kingdom. And finally, as our Haftorah for Vayeshev officially begins, he addresses the sins of Israel, the northern kingdom, which was comprised of the ten tribes, who seceded from Yehuda, and here the Navi says in the very first pasuk of the Haftarah for Vayeshev, "Al shlosha pishe Yisrael v'alarba lo ashivenu." For three offenses of Israel of Yisrael, and for the fourth one, I will not relent. So, what was the sin? Al mechram bakesef tzadik ve'evion ba'avur na'alayim. What did they do? They sold for money, for cash, a righteous one or an acquitted one, an innocent one and a destitute one on account of mere shoes. So what exactly we're talking about? That they sold a righteous man? Okay, sounds a little bit like our Parsha. So there, was a, there was a righteous man who was sold, and something to do with uh, selling a poor man for shoes. So here's where the Medrash um, homiletically suggests, this is in the name of the Pirkei Jebeliezer, and it's in Psikta Lamed Ches in 38 in the Pirkei Jebeliezer, and I guess it's uh, that, that parak over there. And the Medrash suggests that this particular verse is a reference to the central misdeed of Parshas Vayeshev, and that is the infamous Mechiras Yosef, the sale of Yosef. And maybe parenthetically I'll mention that perhaps we can suggest the people of Yehuda Right, we're not included in this rebuke, despite their ancestor Yehuda's being the lead role in the sale, right? Because we mentioned that this this nevuah is pointing to the Bnei Yisrael of the northern kingdom, not including Sheva Yehuda, and it's 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 interesting to note that because Yehuda was the main the main perpetrator of Mechiras Yosef, but maybe we can argue that Yehuda had demonstrated a complete teshuva, a turnaround of repentance when he displayed his readiness to give up his life for Binyamin years later, something that um, starts to happen in Parshas Miketz and Vayigash. But now we're looking at Klai Yisrael as a whole, and the Medrash says <clears throat> that, that they were guilty of selling Yosef, and apparently for a pair of shoes. So there's your connection. We have a Midrashic shout-out to the event of Mechiras Yosef, um, obviously a very prominent part of the Parsha. Now the question is, if that's the case, it seems that indeed this connection is really only that. It is a mere connection. A wink to Parsha's Vayeshev. And in general, we try to find something a little bit more than that. As we mentioned in the introduction to this sheer series, we explore the connections, but we try to see where those connections take us. Right, A connection is just a connection. It's a link. And in this case... A wink as well, but what? But what really is it trying to bring out? And you, we, we hope usually that it's not just a shout out, and we try to find something more. So if that's the case, we have to figure out. Meaning, if we go back to the Navi's original context, the simple reading was not necessarily referring to Mechiras Yosef. That's what the Medrash tells us. And in fact, even Rashi, on the pasuk in Amos, explains that the sin described here was not a sorry the the, the sin was not, not really one that happened so much earlier in time, but it was really a contemporary event that judges were selling innocent people out by accepting bribery from the litigants' opponents. Meaning, the Pashup Shah of the text, whatever you're going to say about what the Madrash says, the Pashup Shah is just talking about corrupt people who were selling other people out. And in, the, in, the, in their context, um, Stama, it's a reference to the judges of the time who were very corrupt. 
So we have to now ask ourselves, if that's all it is, al Pashup shot, then is the connection really based on a midrashic reading, meaning a reading that of, of a Pusik that was not originally, in its original context, talking about our Parsha. We have one Medrash that says, oh look, it's talking about our Parsha. Or at least it it depicts something that happened in our Parsha. So is, is, is that the only thing we have there? So let's, let's, let's take a closer look. Because the reference to the sale of Yosef in this Haftarah remains a loose reference. And that's fine if we're just looking for a connection or an allusion, again, to the concepts from our Parsha. But as we explained, we, try to, we would prefer to find um, something that represents the essential theme of the Sidra. So in this line, we might suggest that we want to actually portray a Haftarah that really gives us a picture of the Parsha. Maybe we would have taken a reading from the life of David HaMelech, who was almost a perfect parallel to Yosef. Just think about how the, the passage, for example, in Shmuel Aleph, in Parakhtes Zion, there it describes a young shepherd asked by his father to observe the welfare of his older half-brothers, and we see this in Parak Yudzayin as well. And he apparently, um, David Amel, just like Yosef, his brothers didn't approve of him. And he ultimately wins the favor of everyone else around him. And this is like a theme in David Amel, and you can't not see Yosef there. Now, obviously, this is not what our Haftarah talks about. I'm just, throw, I'm, just, I'm just throwing you a bone, just giving you a suggestion of an alternative Haftarah that would have really told a story very similar to what we find in our Parsha. So... My, my my point in doing that is just so we can hold up um, a possible alternative to the Haftarah that we actually went with and to, to really challenge it. Why did we choose this reading from Amos that has a one-liner that the Medrash picks up on? So, considering all of the above, why do we settle for this shout-out at best to Mechiris Yosef? So yes, the Haftarah can be read as a rebuke of the tribes for the ancient sin of of selling Yosef as a slave. Even though, again, we and I'll mention it again that we've explained Al Pipshita Shalmikra, it was referring to the recurring contemporary sin of corrupt judges selling their justice for bribery. And if that's the case, we would like to identify something more essential. So <clears throat> there is a takeaway message based on the common theme highlighted in both readings. And what I want to try to draw out for you is what that message is. So if the moral of the story is merely that it's wrong to sell people away or to sell people for personal gain, perhaps we're setting the bar just a little bit low. And certainly we've been taught that Yosef's brothers were not just shallow chas v'shalom, that they recklessly sold their brother away because he rubbed them the wrong way, that we hate him and we're, we're jealous and dad likes him best. I, like, that's, like, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about... You know, we're talking about people who were deemed by Chazal as incredible tzaddikim, as wrong as they were in the in the act of Mechiras Yosef. Their actions were very heavily calculated, as some explain that they actually formed a court, they formed a basedin, and they they put Yosef up to what they referred to as a din Torah, determining how to deal with the legitimate threat they felt Yosef was posing them as a rodef. They sought out a halachic lawsuit against Yosef, albeit a misinformed one. But the reason I point this out is just so you understand who we're talking about or whom we're talking about when we describe the Avera of the, of the Shifte Ka. So when we consider the arguments that the brothers made in their, in their makeshift basedin, we can begin to taste the sin that permeated and contaminated their reasoning. They had forethoughts of killing Yosef, as the Torah tells us, or perhaps starving him to death, 
until the following argument arose from Yehuda. What gain is there if we would kill our brother and then just cover up his blood? Let's just go and sell him. What gain is there? Yehuda asked, and his brothers approved. Yes, they ultimately spared Yosef's life. A very fortunate thing for the story, obviously. But since when was the question of gain a matter at play? Were they not acting as judges in a court, in a, in a court proceeding? Right? If, if their ruling, albeit an incorrect one, was to kill him, that's one thing. Right? They 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 deemed him liable to death. He, he they they said he was he was they condemned him. They said that he's sentenced to death. All of a sudden, Yehuda comes along. Ma betza. What do we gain from doing this? This this is very fishy. Right. Because, again, they, they made a ruling that he should be killed. And if their ruling was that killing him was unnecessary, which is likely, as the halacha states, that if one can thwart the attempts of a rodef, right? Because the, 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 the Mepharshim say that they, they viewed Yosef as a rodef. A, normally a rodef is someone who tries to kill another person, um, an innocent person. And they said that Yosef was a spiritual rodef. He was trying to get them booted from the family. They would lose their chalik in Olam Haba somehow. That they would lose their chalik in the Torah. They would not become Yaakov's nation. That's how they saw Yosef, is trying to get them kicked out of the family. They viewed him as a spiritual rodef. And the Gemara on Sanhedrin does state on uh, Daf. I and Adam and Aleph, that if you can thwart the Rodev without killing him, then you must do so. Now, if it's true then that they didn't need to kill him and they were able to accomplish the goal of sparing their Olam Haba somehow by selling Yosef away, so that's, I guess, theoretically acceptable. But since when was Betza, when was gain a relevant factor in the discussion? Unless, of course, gain was a pervading part of the discussion all along. A discussion that Yosef's brothers were never truly and actually honest enough to handle themselves. What do I mean by that? When there is something to gain, whether emotionally or practically, one's view is clouded and skewed by that gain so that he cannot properly judge the case. As the Torah tells us twice, right, that the bribe is going to blind a person, even a chacham, even a tzaddik is going to be blinded by a bribe. And Yehuda utters the words, and I don't know if it was sort of like a Freudian slip. I don't know the degree to which those words were calculated, but I believe those words are what tell the whole story of the sin of the Shifteka in this story. That they were primarily concerned with betza, with gain. And that's really what caused them to make a misinformed decision, even if they thought they were making the right decision, even if they thought they were making an intelligent and righteous decision, a decision that Hashem would have been proud of because it's the right decision according to halacha. Right? Even if all of that's true, but the second that he utters the words, Ma betza, what do we gain from this? He makes a very scary confession that he was being guided and misguided by that personal sense of what can I gain from this? How can I how can I further my own agenda by by making a decision about what to do with Yosef? And I think that's where 
the message of Amos meets Parshas Vayeshev, because prominent in both texts is the blaming of the children of Israel for the apparently malicious selling of innocent individuals for some kind of personal gain. And even if we could theorize what thought they had put into their actions, how righteously intended they thought they were, it was ultimately and inevitably infected by personal feelings that they had on the matter. Whether those feelings were from the heat of desire or their hatred really doesn't matter. The emotions overtook the case and innocent individuals were sold because of that decision. And whether directly referencing Mechir Siosif or not, Amos's prophecy denounces such corruption of justice, such miscarriage of justice, and in fact calls it what it is, a corruption of justice, no matter what rationalization one might provide for his actions. So for, for, even if they had found a logical and perhaps even moral and halachic grounds for their given situation, one, they were still wrong, and two, they were never equipped to place a verdict with the bribe money in their hands to begin with. Thus, the objective fault in their actions must be overemphasized to counter the, possibly, the possibility of, their, of, of being overlooked. Yehuda only becomes acquitted when he looks his own personal misdeeds in the face and then takes responsibility for them and called them what they were. And I think that is the takeaway from Vayeshev. For the rest of the Bnei Israel, it was their actions that brought Gullus and suffering to their father, themselves, and their descendants. What they had thought about their actions before, there could be no denying of the negative outcome. Thus, Amos explains no differently than when people naturally cower at the roar of a lion, the Bnei Israel's unjust actions, rationalized or not, have natural, unpleasant, and unavoidable consequences. And we should all be zocha to, as much as possible, to be intellectually honest, be brave enough to not judge in areas where we're unfitting. And Hashem should judge us favorably never to sell us out, to sell us away in Gullis, but to embrace us. And that should happen with the coming of the Gulub and the Menu. If you enjoy this year and others like it on the podcast, you want to partner up with us with the sponsorship. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or recommendations, or you want to join the Database Podcast WhatsApp group for uh, schedules of updates and Links to every uploaded shear, then all you have to do is reach out to me at the database at gmail.com. That's the data then base, B E I S at gmail.com. And once again, this shear was dedicated to Lunishmas, Chai Rachel Bas David Svi. Thank you for joining us here at the database.